Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Chances are you have. 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions every year. The overwhelming majority of us make New Year's resolutions occasionally. So probably everyone in this room at some time or another has made a New Year's resolution. This past year, the top 10 resolutions were lose weight, get organized, spend less, save more, enjoy life to its fullest, stay fit and healthy, learn something exciting, quit smoking, help others fulfill their dreams, fall in love, and then spend more time with family. Most of our resolutions focus on our health, our finances, our relationships, and our happiness. Even the Today Show host got into this New Year's resolution thing. Today, in the Parade magazine on the cover, it says, Wisdom for the New Year. Matt Lawler, Savannah Guthrie, and the Day Show team talk about resolutions. And on the inside, it talks about some of the resolutions that they make. Some do's and don'ts, like Sean Guthrie said, do What she's going to do is practice gratitude. Don't. She's not going to lose sight of what's important. That's good. That's a good resolution. Matt Lauer said, do enjoy today. Don't get so caught up in tomorrow that you forget today. And then he said, don't postpone adventures, primarily with his family. He's saying that he needs to spend time every year doing something exciting, doing something fun, doing something memorable with his family. Family, But the question I've got for you this morning is this. Do they work? Do our New Year's resolutions work? Because according to research that was reported in the New York Times, 80% of the people who make New Year's resolutions on January the 1st give up by Valentine's Day. Did you get that? 80% of the people who make resolutions on January the 1st have already given up by Valentine's Day. 80% give up. They throw in the towel. They quit after only six weeks, one and a half months, and they give up. So the question we've got to ask is this. Is change, lasting change, possible? Can we, through our sheer willpower, change our actions long term? Not reverting to our old patterns, to our old habits. Now, for a lot of us, maybe most of us, that's not just a hypothetical question. It's a question that that we've asked before. Can I change? Is it possible for me to change? Bob is an alcoholic. He started drinking when he was a teenager, going out partying and having fun with with his friends. He continued drinking in college. He would drink on the weekends primarily with, with his friends at parties, at ball games, when he would go out fishing. But, but after years of drinking like that, he started drinking after work to just kind of slow down, to take the edge off. He always said that he could control his drinking, but finally one day he realized that his life was out of control. He couldn't control his drinking. His drinking was controlling him. Bob wants to change. The question is, can he or will he end up dying a drunk? Beth has always loved reading adult romance novels. Those seem 
innocent enough and she loves reading those women's magazines. And, and as she has read those adult romance novels and those women's magazines, she has had her mind skewed in regard to what her relationships should be like and what her future husband should be like. Beth falls in love. She gets married, but she puts unrealistic expectations on her husband because of what she's read. She's not happy with the relationship, and she ends up having an affair that destroys her marriage. It ends up in divorce. And from there, Beth goes from relationship to relationship trying to find that man that those romance novels talk about, that man that that Cosmopolitan magazine tells her is out there, but she never finds him. Finally, in desperation, she realizes that her life is a mess and she wants to change. But the question is, can she? Bob is a troubled teen. It seems like he's always been in trouble. He's been arrested for smoking pot and for vandalism. He's dropped out of school. He's running around with the wrong crowd. His stepdad has given up on him. His mom is at her wit's end. The neighbors say that Bobby is no good. He's never going to change. Can he? Can he change? Frank is a go-getter. He, he, he likes to say that he has a strong worth ethic. He has built a successful business from scratch. But in that time, he has lost his family. He has a full bank account, but he has an empty house. He's now had to go to the doctor with all types of health problems. And his doctor says, if you don't change your lifestyle, if you don't change your priorities, something bad is going to happen. But the question is, can Frank change? Warren is a pillar in the church. He leads a small group. He goes on mission trips. He's always here. On the outside, everyone would say that Warren has it all together. But on the inside, Warren is a mess. He struggles with pornography. When his wife goes to sleep at night, he goes to the computer. And he fills his mind with garbage. His addiction is destroying his marriage. And it's leaving him filled with shame. He doesn't want to be that way. But the question is, can Warren change? And the stories could go on and on. We could all tell them. We all know them. If they're not our stories, they're the stories of people that we know, people that we love. Can my life ever be different? Can next year be better than last year? Can I lose weight and keep it off this time? Can I get out of debt, stay on top of my finances can, can I become a better parent, a better husband, a better wife? Can I overcome that secret besetting sin? It may be anger, it may be bitterness, it may be thoughts that enslave me. Can I break these habits despite year after year making these resolutions and every time failing? Can I ever become that bold, disciplined, committed Christian that I want to be or will this year in like last year, starting off with a, a bang of good intentions, but by February it's filled with disappointments and by Easter it's filled with outright failure. Can I change? Now, some people say yes. 
absolutely you can change. If you receive the right education, if you have the right environment, you can change. Everybody can change. Many of our social initiatives, our counseling strategies, our rehabilitation programs that we use in our prison systems are based on this. Everybody can change. Other people say, no, you you can't change. Your heredity, your genes have made you who you are. So don't try to change. You can't. So can we? Can we change? Is it possible? Now, understand, this isn't a new question. This question has been around for at least 3,000 years. Jeremiah the prophet, speaking for God, said this in Jeremiah 13, 23. Listen to what he says. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, let me say that again. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? And just as they can't change, you who are accustomed to doing evil cannot just change and do good. Now, on the surface, that sounds very fatalistic, doesn't it? Because the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin. The leopard cannot do anything about his spots. And God says... That just as they can't change, you on your own can never stop doing good or start doing good if you're accustomed to doing bad. Now, here's what the Bible teaches. I am powerless to change myself. Get that in your mind. The Bible teaches I am powerless to change myself. Now, I know that goes against all the self-help books that we read. All of the motivational seminars that we go to. But the Bible says that I am powerless to change myself. Now some of you are saying, oh, wait a second, slow down. What are you talking about? I can change. I have changed. I can do anything that I set my mind to. And the truth is, there are areas of our lives that we can change. There are areas of our lives that we can control, that we can overcome through our sheer willpower. But there are other areas of our life where willpower just won't work. And regardless of whether we want to admit it or not, we all have those areas. Former Los Angeles doctors manager Tommy Lasorda describes his battle with bad habits. This is what he said. I took a pack of cigarettes from my pocket, stared at it and said, who's stronger, you and me? The answer was me. I stopped smoking. Then I took a vodka martini and said to it, who's stronger, you or me? Again, the answer was me. I quit drinking. Then I went on a diet. I looked at a big plate of linguine with clam sauce and said, who's stronger, you or me? And the little clam looked at me and answered, I am. (laughs) Now, why is it? Why is it? That we have a hard time admitting our weaknesses. Why is it that we have a hard time admitting we need help? Why is it that we have a hard time admitting that we're powerless to resolve all of our problems? I believe the answer is one word and that one word is pride. We are proud. And our pride will lead us to stay in bondage. And our pride will lead to our eventual destruction. Write this down. This is important. Until we admit we can't, 
we won't. Until we admit that we can't, we won't. I want you to write down some verses. They're not on your note sheet. You can look them up later. But Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this. People who are proud will soon be disgraced. Our pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride lands you flat on your face. Humility prepares you for honor. Our pride will cause us to fall flat on our face, and that's about as low as you can go. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride leads to destruction, arrogance to downfall. Our pride will lead us to be destroyed. And then James 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. In other words, God stands in opposition to those who are proud, but he pours out his grace to those who are humble. Now, what does that mean? What is grace? Let me give you a definition. Grace is the power to change. That's what grace is. It's God's power working in us to give us the power to change. God does for us What we can't do for ourselves. Listen to what Ezekiel said to the king of Tyre. He said, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am God. But you were a man, not a God. Though you think you are as wise as God. His pride caused him to act as if he were God. And his pride caused him to think that he was as wise, as smart as God. And so that pride caused him to believe that he could solve all of his problems, that he could live life better his way than God's way, that he could call the shots, that he could make the rules, that he was in control. control. And that's what pride always does. It was pride that, that led Satan to rebel against God and be thrown out of heaven. It was pride that led Adam and Eve to rebel against God in the garden, to be thrown out of that perfect paradise. And it is our pride that leads each and every one of us to rebel against God. My way is better than God's way. I can do this on my own. And so we try everything. We, we try the latest fads. We try the latest therapies. We go to the seminars. We try everything except God because we've convinced ourselves we can solve our problems, but we can't. And so we walk around smiling like everything is okay when it's not. I heard about a farmer who was going down the road one day in his pickup truck with a cow in the back. When a man ran a stop sign, ran into him, it turned his pickup truck over. His cow went flying into one ditch. He went flying into the other ditch. And the cow was mooing in agony. He was moaning in agony when he heard a car drive up. And two doors opened up. And there were some men talking. And one of the men said, it's obvious that this cow is in agony. What do you think we should do? And the other man said, I think we should put him out of his agony. And, and so they, they um, shot the cow. Well, several months later, this man was in court. He was suing the man who ran into him, ran the stop sign because um, he had a lot of medical bills. And he was on the stand and, and the man's attorney who ran the stop sign was questioning him, questioning him. 
And he said, I don't understand how you've got all of these medical bills, how you say you have all of these problems, because we've got it right here in the report. When the police officers ask you, you said, I'm fine. How could you say that if you were in so much agony? He said, I'll tell you why. He said, when I was laying in that ditch and that car drove up, and I heard those two police officers talk, and they saw my cow in agony, and I heard one of them shoot that cow, and then they came over to me, and I was in agony too, and they said, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine, because I didn't want the same thing to happen to me that happened to my cow. And that's what a lot of us do. We put on our everything's fine face when everything isn't fine. We deny our problems. We say that we can handle them. We say we're fine. We're all right, but we're not. And we do that because of our pride. And and hear me. Our churches, traditional churches, are filled with people like that who come in on Sunday morning with their fine face, and yet they're not fine. They have all of these problems that are enslaving them, ensnaring them. And instead of saying, I need help, they say, I'm fine. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking, all right, I know this is a problem for those who haven't accepted Christ. But it's different for those who are Christians, right? Really? Is it different for those who are Christians? Paul was probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. I think we would... Most of us would agree that he is at the top, at least, of Christians who has ever lived. And and listen to what Paul said. It's in Romans 7. He said, what I don't understand about myself is, is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Now, some people try to explain this verse by saying that Paul was talking about his pre-Christian days, those, those days before he became a believer, before he was saved, before he was born again, before the Spirit of God was living in him. But that's not true. When you look at this passage in the Greek text, you discover it is written in the present indicative. Which means that Paul is saying, I am doing this right now. I'm experiencing this right now. I'm having this struggle right now. I'm doing things I don't want to do right now. I'm not doing things I want to do right now. And he says, I hate that I'm living this way. That was Paul. And the truth is, we're all like Paul. You see, the Bible teaches that it is impossible on our own to overcome our sinful nature. Our sinful nature that controls our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And when I try to change on my own, it always leads inevitably to three things. It leads to frustration. 
because I'm trying and I'm attempting and, and I'm not doing it and I get frustrated. Have you ever seen a toddler try something that they can't do? What happens? They get frustrated, don't they? Our, our grandson Noah is with us this week and, and um, several times this week he's tried to do something that he couldn't do and and, and when, when he does, he gets frustrated. And when he gets frustrated, he, he will just fall on the floor and, and start moving his hands and his feet and just whining loudly. Why? Because he is frustrated. There is something that he wants to do that he can't do. That's what happens when we try to change and we can. It leads to frustration. And then it leads to fatigue. It wears us out. We try and try and try, but we can't change. You've heard the expression, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Well, when you're trying to change on your own, you're going through the tunnel expecting eventually to see light, but you never see light. It's never there. And so you're running and you're running and you're running in the dark and and you end up wearing yourself out. And then it leads to failure. That's why 80% of the people who make resolutions on New Year's break them. Give up on them by Valentine's. You see, until I admit I can't change myself, I will never change. And the reason is we are fundamentally flawed. Not some of us, not most of us, but all of us are fundamentally flawed. Our behavior is messed up. Because our heads are messed up and our hearts are messed up. Now we can debate the whys. But listen, it is clear that there is something wrong with the human race. And until that is fixed, we will forever live in failure, never living up to our own expectations. And on our own, we can never solve our fundamental problems. The Bible says, at our very best, we will fall short. Now, if that's all that Paul said, if if that's where Paul left it in Romans chapter 7, saying that we are destined to failure and defeat, that would be a terrible word, wouldn't it? I mean, if Paul left it right there, I, I, I want to do good and I don't. I don't want to do bad and I do. And I repeat this pattern over and over and over again. I am miserable. I feel like a failure. Is there any help? If he left it there, man, that would be a terrible word. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Because you see, from the very beginning, God set in plan, a motion, a plan that would result not only in our redemption, our salvation, but our restoration. God devised a plan so that you and I don't have to live in failure. I want you to listen to what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 25. He said, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. And remember what he said in verse 24? Is there no one who can do anything? And then in verse 25, he says, yes, there is. The answer is Jesus. You see, when we humbly admit to God that we need help, that we are broken, then God can intervene and help us in our situation. I love how it says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what it says in verse 9. We felt like we had been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, 
It was the best thing that could have happened. Now, let's stop there. Would you say being sent to death row is about as bad as it gets? I mean, that was awful. I mean, you're at the end of your rope. You are at your wit's end. You are at the time of trouble and despair. But Paul said when we arrived there, it ended up being the best thing that could happen. Because instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. (laughs) I love that. We get to a point where we can't trust in our strength, we can't trust in our intellect, and it forces us to cry out to God and say, I can't do this. Then we are in that position where God can help. Later on in in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, we are a new creation. Here's the problem. For both the saved and the lost, we try to resolve our problems in the flesh. We try to handle our problems In our strength. And we never can. Paul lets us know that it's not in the flesh that we become new. It is when we are in Christ that we become new. When we get to that point where we are so infused with Christ. That Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And you cannot even tell where one stops and the other begins. That's when you get to the point where you begin to live As a new creation. You see Jesus. Can do in you. And through you. And for you. What you can never do for yourself. Jesus can do in you. And through you. And for you. What you can never do in yourself. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2.13. For God. Is working in you. Giving you the desire. And the power to do what pleases Him. You see, when we are in Christ, write this down. Defeat is not our destiny. When we are in Christ, defeat is not our destiny. You don't have to be enslaved to that habit. You don't have to continue to give in to that sin. You don't have to be overcome by those desires. When you are in Christ and Christ is in you, He will give you not only the desire, but the Bible says He will give you the power to do what pleases Him. But you have to let go and let God. He wants to help you, but you have to let Him. One of the most touching stories to ever come out of the Olympics was the story of Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was a British runner who set the world record. And um, he missed the 1988 Olympics because he had an injury. And he was set to run in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, the, the 400 meters. He was the favorite to win. But about 150 yards, 140 yards from the finish line, he tore his hamstring. Fell to the ground. In agony. 
Any of you have ever pulled a hamstring knows how painful it is. If you've ever torn a hamstring, which I have, you know that you can't walk on it hardly. Derek Redmond was determined to finish the race. He got up. They tried to stop him, but he hopped as he was going those last 150 yards. It was clear that he wasn't going to be able to make it on his own when a man came out of the stands, came beside him to help him. I, w- I want you to watch this video. the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. When you try your best but you don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in Tears come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste Could it be
lot of us are going through life. It's like that Olympic track. And we want to win. We want to at least finish. But we're incapable. We can't do it. But out of heaven, the Father sends His Son who comes on the track, puts His arm around us, and goes with us every step of the way. Jesus said He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. If there's one thing I want you to understand over the next four weeks, it's this. You never can have victory on your own. But with Jesus in you, and you in Jesus, you can not only finish, you can win. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know whether you made some resolutions last Thursday or not. But I do know this. I know resolutions, for the most part, don't work. Resolutions are filled with good intentions, heartfelt desires. But in the end, they don't work. Because our willpower... Is not enough to give us victory. Not over those big things. But the power of the cross and the empty tomb is powerful enough to give you victory over anything and everything. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So where are you? I mean, what is it that that you need help with in 2015? For some of you, you've never really given your life to Jesus. And and you're hoping that when you stand before God, He's going to look at you and say, Man, you did it. You made it. Your efforts, your good works, your, your good deeds... They've been enough. Welcome. But your best will never make it. And you need to let go and let God save you. For others of you, you've taken that first step. And you know that He has saved you. But, but somehow, some way, you've moved from trusting Christ to save you to trying to live in victory on your own. And you can't. You've got to be in Christ. And when you are, regardless of what that desire is, that needed change, if it has something to do with your health, if it has something to do with your relationships, if it has something to do with your finances, has something to do with your happiness, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, He will give you the power to have the victory. In your life. But you've got to be in Christ. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. I want to ask you this question again. 
Have you trusted Christ in what he has done for you to save you? Or do you think that somehow, way, you can be good enough to get to heaven? If you're trusting in your good deeds, I want to challenge you today. Start trusting Christ. Say, how? Humble yourself. Admit you're broken. Admit your best is never going to be good enough. Accept what he did on the cross to save you. Give your life to him. If you're here and and you've done that and yet you're overcome by this, this besetting sin or habit, I want to challenge you to discover over the next several weeks what it means to be in Christ. So here's what I want you to do. In the silence of this moment, before we sing, before we go any further, I want to just open up this altar. And anybody that needs to come to this altar and say, Father, today I'm giving it all to you. I can't do it on my own. I need your help. I want you to join me in humbling yourself. Come before this this altar made of man and give it all to God. Let's take a few moments and do that right now. your word says that we can know the truth the truth can set us free I know father that you haven't destined us to live in defeat but through your son Jesus you have given us the victory I pray father that everyone here today will live victorious in Christ in 2015.
change our desires and give us the power to live a life that's pleasing to you. Give us victory over our secret sins. Over those areas of our life that seem to enslave us, ensnare us. Seem to have our number. Father, we acknowledge we can't do it on our own. We need you in us. So humbly, we surrender. We're going to stop trying. We're going to trust you to do what you can do. In us, and through us, and for us. Amen.